Good morning. Welcome. I'm so glad that you can join us for this time of worship, and I welcome you into our teaching series, Conversations. In part three, we engage with a phenomenal story in Mark chapter five. Jesus engages a conversation with a demon-possessed man. Because this demonic presence controlled his life so so incredibly, so vividly, Jesus actually spoke directly to the demons that possessed him. This becomes an amazing and very unusual conversation from which we uh, draw some incredible truths that help us in a very, very important part of our lives. And that is understanding the victory Jesus brings over the enemy, over Satan, over over darkness. And so Jesus, in this conversation, proves that he defeats darkness. I pray that that encourages you as you scan around the, the world and, and around current events to see so many demonstrations of brokenness and darkness And as we look into our own lives and realize the times that darkness blinded our our, our own eyes from the truth of Jesus and then discovering that in Jesus, darkness is defeated. This becomes an amazing truth, an amazing reality. Now, thus far, as we've journeyed through the New Testament, we've discovered a conversation Jesus had with uh, the political and and temple authorities in John chapter 2. In John chapter 5, we discovered a conversation Jesus had with the lame man who was beside the pool of Bethesda. And we saw how God brought restoration to his life uh, through what Jesus proclaimed. Now, in Mark chapter 5, we encounter an amazing story of, of Jesus engaging with this demoniac. And from this, we are, we are brought some amazing truths. Uh, in 2010, a group of eight people from two churches felt a call to the Detroit Boulevard neighborhood of Sacramento. This neighborhood was known as one of the most notorious crime-ridden neighborhoods in all of Sacramento. Uh, Each house in that neighborhood was, was a place of danger. Nonetheless, the group of eight decided to walk through the neighborhood, praying over each home and praying for the presence of Christ to reign over violence, addiction, and satanic oppression. They began walking through the neighborhoods and praying over each home and rebuking demonic strongholds and addictions and violence. One of the eight former Sacramento police officer and gang detective, Michael Zong, reported that Each time we prayed over the houses, and I quote, we felt the weight of oppression becoming lighter. A woman from one of the houses confronted them. When she discovered they were praying for the community, she asked for healing and God healed her. The group soon physically moved into the neighborhoods further and further and started what they called the Detroit Life Church. A couple of years later, a local newspaper, the Sacramento Bee, reported, this is amazing, that there were no homicides, no robberies or sex crimes, and only one assault that had taken place in Detroit Boulevard between 2013 and 2014. Detroit Boulevard had been transformed 
by a small group of people who began their ministry in the neighborhood by praying around the houses and streets and praying for the power of Satan to be vanquished. And this story comes from David E. Fitch in his book, Seven Practices for the Church on Mission. And oh, I tell you today, this is an amazing reminder of how Christ, Jesus, our Lord, overcomes darkness if we will but trust him. So today I ask you to consider the victory Jesus brings, even in the midst of unthinkable darkness. The power of Satan is real, but woefully limited compared to the power of Jesus. And oh, as we trust in the power of Christ our Lord, and as we pray in the name of Jesus, I believe we can see strongholds shake and, and we can see oppression disappear. And we can see brokenness in families and homes made right if we will but trust in the only power that defeats darkness and the power of Jesus Christ. So welcome into Mark chapter 5. Welcome into this conversation Jesus had with uh, with this demon-possessed man. Now as we move into this story, I invite you into the, the context of this event. And I'd like to ask you to walk with me uh, through three episodes of this story. And as we make our way through these episodes, then we'll find three applications that we need to bring close to our hearts today. So we begin in Mark chapter 5, and we're going to start with episode 1, as I like to reference the first five verses. When they came to the other side of the sea, they came to the region of the Gerasenes. Now, Jesus had just stood on the bow of the ship and had said, Peace be still, and the sea became amazingly calm. And the disciples had just said earlier, What man is this that even the winds and the sea obey him? Then chapter 5 of Mark opens, and they begin to realize what type of man this is, that even the waves and the seas obey him. So they come to the other side of the sea. This depicts geographically the southeastern corner of the lake. And as they got out of the boat, a man with un, an unclean spirit came out of the tombs and met him. He lived in the tombs. No one was able to restrain him. And, and even when they used chains, he would break them because he would snap them off and smash the shackles. No one was strong enough to subdue him. And always night and day, he was crying out among the tombs and in the mountains, cutting himself with stones. This, the southeastern coast uh, represents an area called the Gerasenes. And likely there was a place that formed a slope some 40 yards inward to the shore. And then about two miles from there, as as archaeology and, and history teaches, there was a network of caverns and caves that many used as, as tombs. Now, I share this uh, picture of geography with you so that you can truly understand the vast area that had been subdued by this one human being that had been possessed with unclean spirits. His, his 
fear that he brought, the the dark impact that he brought, covered a significant area. Many who traveled that way knew of this man and and thought of him almost in monstrous terms. And and he brought fear, and he he brought a darkness as people would engage him in this area. And as Jesus and his disciples sailed to this particular coastline, stepped out of the boat, as the scripture teaches, they encountered this man with unclean, with an unclean spirit, uh, uncontrollable by human strength. And so from verse one through five, we see episode one of this story. Now, the conversation has not yet begun. It's about to begin in episode two, but I desire that the story would come to life for you as as God's Spirit teaches us the significance of this conversation. Because as you look at the history and geography, you see how wide of a span this this evil influence had among those who were in this area. So now let's move to episode two. And we pick up in verse 10, uh, excuse me, in verse six through 10. In verse six, we read this. Now, the conversation is about to begin. Lean into this story. When he, the demon-possessed man, saw Jesus from a distance, he ran and knelt down before him, and he cried out with a loud voice, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you before God, don't torment me. For he had an unclean spirit. Jesus said, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name, he asked him. The man said, Legion. Because we are many, the demonic voice began to reveal that there were so many different unclean spirits in this man. We're not told the origin, nor are we told the circumstances that led to this evil, dark, demonic possession. But nonetheless, this possession was real and destructive. Verse 10, and he kept begging him not to send them, meaning the the demons, out of that Region. So in episode number two, we see quickly how the demonic spirit engages Jesus and Jesus engages the man by virtue of engaging the demonic spirits. And quickly you see how subdued the spirits become. And they they recognized Jesus. Is this not amazing that the demonic man approached Jesus and quickly said, Um, What do you have to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? Noticing the chronicles of of the movement of of Jesus' ministry up to this point, it's doubtful the man had ever truly met Jesus in a former relationship. But but the demonic presence in this man recognized Jesus. In James chapter 2, verse 19, we are told, and James actually states, oh, you believe in God? Well, even the, the devil, even the demons believe in God, and, and they shudder. This real life event depicts that truth James taught. The, the demons recognized the presence and the power and the person of Christ, and they shuddered. And immediately, notice this, immediately they became subdued. They began the conversation. I find it interesting that in most other conversations, Jesus initiates. But here, the demon recognizes the authority of Jesus and, and being subdued by his presence, the demons begin the conversation and Jesus charges, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. What is your name? 
And he said, my name is Legion. We are many. And, and this demonic voice kept begging that Jesus uh, would not send them away from this area. They felt as if this area was their domain. There are times when Satan himself will try to claim domain in your life and in your home, in your mind and in your thoughts. And at times you will feel that his claim on, on some part of your life is, is not only demonstrative, but, but firm and, and real. And the presence of evil and the voice of these demons uh, tries to grasp the very same reality here. Do not make us leave. So episode two demonstrates the reality of this demonic oppression, but how subdued that oppression became in the face of Christ. Now we move to episode three and the final episode of this story. Now a large herd of pigs had been feeding on the hillside and the demons begged that Jesus send us to the pigs so that we may enter them. And I love verse 13. Verse 13 is phenomenal. Jesus gave them permission and the unclean spirits entered the pigs and the, the herd numbered about 2,000 and they rushed down a steep bank into the sea and drowned. A phenomenal event, a, a spectacle of, of all occasions one could imagine took place right here. An amazing event, unless you are the pig farmer. I perhaps wonder maybe what he thought about losing all of, all of that livestock, but, but the, the demons begged Jesus, send us away into those pigs. Do not cast us away from, from being in this region. And so Jesus again demonstrated his authority and gave them permission and they brought destruction to the swine, but they did not bring destruction to this one solitary soul that Jesus redeemed, I believe, for all eternity. What an amazing story and what an amazing conversation from which we draw some significant applications. And I'd like to share three of those applications with you from this conversation and from these three episodes. The first application is this. The devil means to destroy. The devil means to destroy. His purpose is to bring destruction. Now, I, I, I dare not put any more emphasis upon the enemy than we need to in this teaching, but we must mark the enemy and the reality of the enemy taught to us from the scriptures. And the enemy, Satan himself, desires to destroy your life and to destroy my life. In fact, right now, he's probably hoping that you're distracted from that statement. His his greatest tactic is is camouflage is to be unnoticed is to be an angel of light to deceive you that's his greatest tactic and here in this story we see the destructive nature of satan himself through these demonic spirits that possessed this individual he he tormented others he tormented himself he injured himself this was a, a direct result of satan bringing destruction to this life until this life met jesus and then there was no way that Satan's oppression could stand in the face of Jesus. But the first application we bring from the story is to remember that Satan means to destroy. In fact, all throughout scripture, we're reminded of, of Satan's intent in this world and in any life that dangerously falls to his influence. In the scripture in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 
Satan is called the angel of light. He, he desires to deceive. He desires that, that you see him as true when he brings a lie. He desires that you see what he causes as good when actually he brings bad. The scripture describes him as an angel of light, deceptive, camouflaging that which is evil and poisonous and destructive for something that seems harmless. This is one of his greatest tactics. The devil means to destroy. Also in the scripture, in John chapter 8, verse 44, Satan is called the father of lies. He not only is the liar himself, but he begets lies. He desires that truth not survive in and around your life. He desires that when you hear truth, that that truth become muffled out from some other noise in the culture. He is the father of lies and he cannot stand in the face of truth. He's the father of lies. The scripture also references the devil as the God of this world. You see this reference in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 4. This indicates that he controls cultures and societies in this world. The scripture also references the devil or Satan as the accuser. Revelation chapter 12 and verse 10. He brings accusation. He brings blame. He brings guilt. He brings shame. This is his tactic. This is what he desires to bring. This brokenness and, and this, this destructiveness. And he does so by accusations and by causing shame. Some of his greatest tactics are, are for you to feel guilt, which proclaims I've done bad, but even more significantly for you to feel shame which declares, I am bad. Those are two of his most, at, at times, his most destructive tactics against our lives. His, his ultimate purpose is to destroy. The scripture actually gives reference in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 18, that Satan himself can attempt to hinder good works. He can, he can even tempt us with the things of this world. First Corinthians 7, 5. We, we know this. We've been taught this from the beginning of the scripture. Satan means to destroy. We saw evidence of this as Jesus approached the Gazarenes and saw this uh, demoniac coming against them. So our first application is uh, don't forget that the enemy, he's real and he, he desires that your life uh, encounter destructiveness and despair and shame and guilt. That's what he desires. And he, he would chip away at that. But, but enough about him because I want to move to this second application, which is so evident in this story. The presence of Christ always <laughs> defeats the devil. The presence of Christ always defeats the devil. When we read from this conversation Jesus had with the demoniac, do you remember the engagement? The demoniac quickly became subdued in the face of Christ and then began begging Christ that they not be driven away. The, the demonic spirit in this man began crying out before Jesus and even said these words, Jesus, have you come here to torment us? They understood that Jesus had all power over them, that this was not a, a, a battle of, of two that were arch enemies. This was not Marvel or DC uh, uh, stories coming as, as two arch enemies battle it out and one barely wins. This is Jesus subduing everything that is dark and evil just by his presence. 
There is no equal to Jesus. Don't see Satan as an enemy to Jesus that is always trying to overthrow him. There is no equal to Jesus. When he walked on the scene, the demonic voice said, are you, are you here to torment us? Indicating that they understood Jesus had complete authority over all things, including their demonic, treacherous activity that they brought into this man's life. And so the presence of Christ always defeats the devil. This is why James wrote by, by God's hand in James chapter 4, verse 7, Submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. Submit to God. Trust Him. Turn to God through your faith in Christ and the devil flees from you. Now you may be saying, Pastor, I wish I knew that truth to be full reality in my life, but I feel like Satan has always tempted me and, and bringing thoughts into my mind and life and destroying relationships. I assure you, as you surrender your life to Christ, yes, the enemy is there to challenge and the enemy is there to tempt, but keep your eyes on Jesus and see the victory that he can bring in your life as you trust him and submit to him with every part of your being. Oh, when we submit to God and resist the devil, the devil flees from us. That word flee in James 4, 7 indicates not a sauntering, not a passive movement, but a, but a direct running away from because nothing can stand opposing the presence of Jesus Christ. His presence always defeats the devil. And from this conversation, there's a third application. I love this part of the story. This is an amazing piece of the conversation that we find as we read all the way down to verse 18. For the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to move to verse 18 from this story. And I want to read this to you as, as Jesus was getting in the boat. Now, the, the, the demonic possessed man is now free uh, because he had he had driven the uh, the demons uh, out and uh, the the, uh, the eyewitnesses described that this demon-possessed man was, was now free. I mean, he was, he was truly freed from this oppression. In verse 18, as Jesus was getting in the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed kept begging Jesus to be with him. The goodness and mercy of God compels man to be with Jesus. Yes, the devil means to destroy, but the presence of Christ defeats all darkness, all evil, defeats the devil, and then the goodness and mercy of God made known to us through Jesus compels us to be with Jesus. When James reminded us, submit to God, resist the devil, he will flee from you. That submission did not reference a, a, a legalistic uh, uh, ordering of life or a, a ritualistic ceremonial life built on routine and regimen. No, submit to God referenced Opening your heart to his love that's made known through Jesus Christ. And as we, as we see the goodness and the mercy of God, oh, our hearts are compelled to be with him and to seek him and to know him more and to grow in his love. The demoniac, I should say the former demoniac, when he was freed, his initial reaction in verse 18 was to be with Jesus. Please don't undervalue this part of the story. And then Jesus said no. And this concludes the conversation he had with the demon-possessed man. Go back to your own people. Report to them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So 
the man went out and proclaimed in Decapolis, the place of ten cities. He proclaimed to a lot of people how much Jesus had done for him. And they were all amazed. Well, before Pentecost, this man was almost apostolic like as he went from city to city and proclaimed what Jesus had done. I love that phrase. He desired to be with Jesus. Yes, when when God's mercy and grace is made known, we are compelled to be with our Lord. Oh, look at these three applications. They're so they're so important for our lives this day. And the devil means to destroy, but the presence of Christ defeats him. And the goodness and the mercy of God compels us to be with Jesus, to to draw close to him. Understand from this conversation that Jesus declared victory over over the darkness and the destructiveness, the, the, the treacherous uh, self-harm that Satan himself brought against this one life. Jesus brought victory over this. And this man traveled abroad and proclaimed how good God had been to him. I'll tell you, I, I cannot imagine the darkness that would envelop us without the grace and the mercy of God through Christ our Lord. Oh, he is, he is so merciful. He's so loving. And I pray that if there's any element of the darkness of this world uh, tempting your mind and heart and your relationships and your goals and your dreams, oh, I pray you would just turn away from that and turn to the love that God has for you manifested in Jesus Christ. Because only through Jesus can that darkness be defeated. I want to tell you the story of a defeated general who claimed victory. General Jonathan Wainwright was captured by the Japanese. He was held prisoner in a concentration camp. Cruelly treated, he became broken and crushed and hopeless. He was almost starved to death. Finally, the Japanese surrendered and the war ended. A United States Army colonel was sent to the camp to announce personally to the to the general that Japan had been defeated and that he was free and he was in command. After Wainwright heard the news, he returned to his quarters. But there were a few Japanese soldiers that had not been subdued yet and they, they came against uh, General Wainwright and they, they, they tried to demand that he submit to them again. Wainwright, however, with the news of an Allied victory still fresh in his mind, declared with authority to his Japanese captors, no, I'm in command here. You no longer give the orders. The victory has been won. A defeated general claimed victory when he heard the irrefutable truth, victory has been won. We've come through a beautiful season of of celebrating the resurrection of our Lord, which declares victory has been won. You no longer need to live defeated. Jesus has won the victory. He has victory already purchased for you. By faith, receive that victory. The reason we revisited this powerful conversation was to grasp the, the relevance of that story for today this real event happened. This real exposure of darkness was subdued by the presence of Jesus and real victory came to a solitary life that was forever changed. And Jesus desires to bring victory to, 
to your life and my life today. Oh, I pray that you know Jesus and you're trusting him and I pray that you're walking with him. My prayer is that you're not being pulled away from the love of God in Christ by some darkness, some broken influence of this world. The victory has been gained. It's been won. It's been secure. We do not have to go and find the victory. We simply need to, by faith, live in the victory that Jesus has purchased. Jesus defeated darkness. And now we know the reason that this conversation still lives today so that we might learn this incredible truth of the victory Jesus can give us over all darkness, over the devil, and over any influence that darkness can bring. Walk in this victory and rejoice that Jesus Christ has overcome. And also rejoice that he desires to make you an overcomer. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for speaking to our hearts today. And God, I just pray that if there's anyone who's listened today that has been subdued by any dark influence of the enemy of this world, that your Holy Spirit, through your word, has stirred their hearts today to lean on you and to cry out to you and to trust that you can bring victory from that darkness. Father, if there's someone today that's trapped in darkness and they just need help, Father, allow our paths to cross today so that there can be the right counsel and encouragement. And Father, help us to lean on you and to, to trust in the victory that you have already secured for us through Jesus. Thank you for teaching us through this amazing conversation and guide us from this time of worship to walk in that victory. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And together we said, amen. And there's a website location on the screen right now. If you know that your faith is in Jesus and yet you are struggling with some influence of darkness in this world, please reach out. We will meet you right where you are. We will encourage you. We will counsel or we will help provide counsel and encouragement. Do not give way to the darkness of this world. If you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ, the scripture tells us that if we confess with our mouth, that Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God's raised him from the dead, we will be saved. So I pray that you would trust Jesus Christ today. Use this website location, reach out. We are ready to have conversation with you about Jesus Christ and the fact that he has overcome all things. He has defeated darkness. He's defeated death, hell, and the grave. And we can live in victory through Jesus. I pray that reality is yours today. Thanks for joining us. Love you a lot. I'll see you next week, if not sooner. God bless. Thank you.